Hello, welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. My name is Wendy Myers, and you can find me on live to 110.com. Why live to 110? Because live to 120.com was taken, and I personally don't want to live past 110. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking to one of my very good friends, Morley Robbins. He's one of my favorite people. And we will be talking about a very controversial subject, whether or not you should be taking vitamin D. Morley does not think that the majority of people taking vitamin D should be taking it. This is very controversial because everywhere on the blogosphere and medical doctors and pretty much on anywhere you read, it's common knowledge that everyone needs vitamin D. This cannot be further from the truth. And Morley is going to tell you why and the potential health conditions that can be caused by excess vitamin D supplementation. This podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any treatment that we suggest today on the show. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. So I am so excited to announce the launching of my program, BodyBioRehab.com, on May 1st. It was going to be April 1st, but as usual, it's taking a lot longer. I want to have a really, really nice program for you, and there's a lot more details and things I need to work on. It's going to launch May 1st, and it's going to be a basic online health program that's going to address diet, exercise, sleep, stress, and detoxification and the basics of all these five tenets of health. I'm going to have a 30-day paleo meal plan. It's going to be a paleo reset diet. I think it's a good idea for many people to do strict paleo for about 30 days and then graduate to my modern paleo diet. There's going to be meal plans, and I'm also going to be launching the modern paleo cookbook very soon that will have all the recipes on the meal plan. There's going to be, it's just a whole program uh, of diet and exercise and stress relief that you, that you can do that will teach you the basic skills you need to heal your body and reverse disease and get on the right path. I have so many clients that come to me and they're doing all these things, but they're missing a couple of elements. They're missing one of the pillars. And you really have to do all of the, the things that I mentioned in the bodybiorehab.com program in order to be healthy. So I'm going to show you how to do that. Just go check out bodybiorehab.com, sign up, and you'll be emailed as soon as the program launches. Our guest today is Morley Robbins, also known as the Magnesium Man. He is the founder of the Magnesium Advocacy Group. You can join that on Facebook and view his website, gotmag.org. He has a mainstream medical industry background. Morley was a hospital executive and consultant for 32 years, but left that to become a wellness coach and health practitioner. And he uses hair mineral analysis in his uh, you know, diagnosis with clients. Mr. Robbins has completed the Well Coaches Training Certification as well as the Institute for Integrative Nutrition Health Coaching Program, like I did. Mr. Robbins received a BA in biology from Denison University in Ohio and holds an MBA from George Washington University in healthcare administration. Morley is an expert on minerals and uses hair mineral analysis, HTMA, in his health coaching practice. He has, uh, he has, uh, co-consulted on 21 books and written 1,200 articles on magnesium and magnesium deficiency. And after all of this, he's come to realize that magnesium plays a role in all metabolic systems and is therefore a contributing factor to nearly all major health issues. 
Magnesium deficiency or insufficiency is at the center of so many common diseases due to its central role in activating over 3,700 proteins and thousands of enzyme systems. So through the Magnesium Advocacy Group, he is committed to educating as many people as possible about the magnificence of magnesium and ending the epidemic of magnesium deficiency, plaguing the health and well-being of human beings on planet Earth. (laughs) Morley, thank you so much for coming on the show. Happy to be here. Happy St. Patty's Day to you. Yes, it is St. Patrick's Day. I have no plans. (laughs) Nothing green in my day. Nor do I. I've got a little bit of green in my shirt. (laughs) Well, why don't you tell the folks who aren't familiar with you why you are known as the Magnesium Man? Well, I used to be a hospital executive um, and did that for 32 years as both an executive and a consultant. And about six years ago now, I had a very bad experience with a frozen shoulder that forced me into the world of natural healing with me kicking and screaming all the way. And I suddenly realized that there was more to healing than what we've been led to believe via the allopathetic uh, community. And so I had become an expert in minerals when I discovered that that's really at the root of all this dysfunction that, that we've been conditioned to believe. And I guess my party line is that there's, there's no such thing as medical disease. There's only metabolic dysfunction that's caused by mineral deficiencies. And when you really get into the world of enzymes and what makes enzymes work and what makes enzymes not work, it's all about availability of minerals. And um, it's, it's absolutely striking when you really get into it. And I mean, I've read too many articles, but I've read about 1,500 articles now on minerals and mineral deficiencies and metabolic dysfunction, and they all have the same theme. Enzymes stop working because minerals are missing. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so the key is figuring out why are the minerals missing and what's it going to take to restore mineral levels and mineral ratios. It's hardly a straight line, as you well know, but it is absolutely uh, the antithesis of what we've been trained to believe since we were little tykes. So... Yeah, I argue with you. I think minerals are the foundation of health. You got to remineralize and balance them, and a lot of the magic happens. But let's talk about vitamin D. Um, but before we start our our discussion, um, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about uh, what your thoughts on, are on why maybe we should be rethinking vitamin D. Everyone is so trained to think that everyone needs vitamin D across the board. And you hear on every, every website, article, podcast, everyone is touting vitamin D. What is the problem with that? Well, it's, it's, it's very distressing. Um, we need some context here. Context is really critical. And it's all about being able to distinguish between social construction of reality versus the truth. So one of the things, let me give you some examples of social construction of reality from a historical context. Uh, one of the first things we learn <clears throat> is that there was a famous fire in Rome where the whole city was pretty much engulfed in fire. And we learned that Nero was fiddling all the while. Well, in fact, in truth, he was actually like, 35 miles away at his summer residence, 
and didn't com- didn't learn of the, the tragedy until it was in fact engulfed, and he rushed back with his aides, and in fact did extensive work to save people, uh, despite what what the history books tell us, but also that it then paved the way for him to completely rebuild Rome. So he was anything but he was fiddling uh, during the, the burning of Rome. Uh, another great example is <clears throat> we've been led to believe that uh, Woodrow Wilson is this Prince of Peace. And he was a former president of Princeton and then went on to become whatever number president he was and that his great claim to fame was setting up the League of Nations following the First World War. Well, the truth of Woodrow Wilson's very different. He was the guy who got us into the First World War to begin with. Uh, he also was the one who enabled the creation of the Federal Reserve System, which is a private, for-profit entity that has nothing to do with the federal government. And, and it, on his um, inauguration, there were over 2,000 African Americans working in the federal government at the time. And eight years later, when he left office, there were only two. They were both chauffeurs. So, in fact, Woodrow Wilson was a, a, a white supremacist. So the truth is very different than the social construction of reality, and that applies to our discussion of hormone D. It's not a vitamin. It is, in fact, a hormone. And that's where I think that's the, the most important um, foundational point is stop calling it a, a vitamin. It is not a vitamin. It is, in fact, a hormone. But what what's behind my... Um, issue of what's the context? Well, there are actually several different uh, components that I'd like to, to chat about. One is hormone D is the oldest hormone on the planet. Wow. How many people knew that? It's been around a long, long time. And we can argue, are we 6,000 years old? Or are we 3 million years old? But the point is, that the historical context for planet Earth is one of a magnesium-rich environment that was very calcium-poor. And that's, that's the proof of that is that the mineral content of the ocean, of seawater, is three times more magnesium than there is calcium. That's interesting. Most people don't know that. But then you also need to understand that um, Andrew Rosanoff, who's a celebrated magnesium researcher did a study in 2012 to look at the calcium to magnesium ratio in the American diet at that time. And I think reference point was 2010. And what she learned was that we were eating five times more calcium today than magnesium. So that's a 15-fold differential from where we started out because we evolved from the sea. At least that's what the anthropologists tell us. So we went from a a one to three ratio to of calcium to magnesium, and now we're at a five to one ratio of calcium to magnesium, which is a little striking. Um, but I think it's it's important that people understand that from a from a long range historical context, the the body was designed to protect the limited calcium that was in our environment. We don't have that situation anymore. We don't have this this dirt, this absence of calcium in our environment. In fact, we're swimming in it. And the last thing we need is more hormone 
to protect that. Because because for those that don't know, vitamin D is used to retain calcium in the body. That's why that's its whole purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Not not just retain it; it's to put calcium into the bloodstream. That's its real its real job is to make sure that the intestines absorb more calcium and that that calcium gets put into the bloodstream. That's its that is its job, uh, first and foremost. So then we have a second second issue that that's important from a contextual standpoint. That three times real fast is that um, I don't think the batting average of doctors and dietitians is very good over the last 60 years. We've been told to stop eating eggs, stop eating red meat, don't eat fat, um, get get cholesterol out of your diet, um, get as much calcium, get as much iron as you possibly can. They've been silent on uh, little things like mercury, fluoride, sugar, high fructose corn syrup, and the favorite, glyphosate, otherwise known as Roundup, and they've also been silent on the importance of vitamin A and E, the importance of magnesium, and the importance of copper. So, I don't know, they've they've kind of goofed, and so now they're telling us, get more vitamin D. Quite frankly, I'm running the other way. Their batting average is zero, and now they're telling us to take more hormone in an environment where we're swimming in calcium, and it makes absolutely no sense at all. Um, then we come down to the ratio. There's a very important ratio of vitamin A to hormone D that exists in the liver. So let's let's look up a historically important source of nutrients in our ancestors' diet. is called beef liver, or we could talk about chicken livers, or we could talk about goose liver. But let's just stay with beef liver for a minute. And we find out that, in fact... Um, when you're looking at beef liver, particularly raw beef liver, um, there's 13,000 IUs of vitamin A, and there's 1,300 units of vitamin D. That's a 10 to 1 ratio. Wow, that's interesting. No one ever talks about vitamin A in the context of vitamin D, and in fact, that's the way Mother Nature intended it to always have at least those two together. And very often, um, Mother Nature likes to have all four of the fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K, together, like in grass-fed butter. It's a great source. Um, But we've been led to believe that a vitamin D, it's okay to take it alone and in isolation of its biological antagonist, known as vitamin A, and that's a, that's a significant thing, that people are completely unaware of the vital need for vital, vitamin A to be present to keep that hormone in check. And this goes way back in time. Um, the other, I think another important key piece of information is that the testing for this particular nutrient is completely flawed and too narrow. Um, so within your, within your listeners and their audience, who would honestly base a thyroid decision on just TSH? You wouldn't do it. It's in this day and age, people are too smart and too aware of the need to have T4, T3, 
free T4, free T3, reverse T3, um, thyroid antibodies, thyroid ant uh, or thyroid peroxidase, as well as knowing the RBC levels of selenium, iron, and magnesium. You just, people just don't base their decisions on TSH. And yet, when it comes to this hormone, suddenly we're supposed to suspend all rational thought and say, oh yes, I'll just base it on this, the storage form of the hormone. And in fact, there is a storage and an active form, as there is with all hormones, there's a storage and an active form. Storage form of cortisol is called cortisone. Oh, interesting. Not many people talk about cortisone. But the, but the important point is that when it comes to hormone D, it's very important to understand what is the level of the storage form of the hormone, the active form of the hormone called calcitriol, it's 125-dihydroxy vitamin D. You also need to know what the magnesium red blood cell is, what the potassium red blood cell is, what the ionized calcium is, and what I've just discovered today is that zinc is very much affected by uh, calcitriol. And it would be important to know either the plasma zinc or probably the red blood cell level of, of zinc as well. So it's important to create a testing context to have a forest for the trees and stop isolating the storage hormone in isolation of all the other factors that it influences. Then we come to the other point is that there is complete silence in the, in the mainstream literature, whether it's medical or media literature, about a concept that was identified in 1962 called renal potassium wasting. I don't know what your experience is, Wendy, but every hair test that I look at where someone has been megadosing over a thousand IUs of, of hormone D have a potassium of one or two. That's That was me, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, taking vitamin D for years and years and years. Yeah, and it's, it's a rampant issue. Well, what are people dealing with today? They're dealing with arrhythmias. They're dealing with anxiety. They're dealing with constipation. Guess what? They're all related to bioavailability of potassium. And it's all being uh, affected by uh, this overuse of this nutrient because what happens is in the liver, if you don't have that one part D to 10 parts vitamin A, what happens is the D burns out the A in the liver, which then sets the stage for the potassium to leave the body. Because there's a very tight connection between vitamin A status and potassium. And in fact, all the electrolytes have a relationship with the fat-soluble vitamins. Just as you were pointing out that, that vitamin D is linked up with calcium, well, vitamin A is linked up with potassium, vitamin K is linked up with sodium, and vitamin E is linked up with magnesium. And that's why you don't take these things in isolation. It's really important to keep that keep that uh, perspective in mind. And then, then um, I think the ultimate is um, I'm I'm really troubled by the, the overall silence about the impact that vitamin D has on magnesium, has on potassium, 
has on vitamin A, has on ceruloplasm, a key protein to keep copper happy. And what I learned this morning is that uh, calcitriol increases the absorption of zinc. And we say, wow, that's great. Well, maybe, because when you increase the, the absorption of zinc, it leads to more metallothionine. What's metallothionine's job? It's a heavy metal binder. And what's its affinity for? Copper. Wow. So we've got this situation where because we're taking calcitriol, we're creating more calcitriol because we're taking more calcidiol, the storage form, we're increasing the zinc level, we're increasing the metallothionine, we're binding up the copper, and we're preventing the, the production of ceruloplasm because one of the critical precursors to ceruloplasm is vitamin A. It's like, oh my gosh. I mean, no one's talking about all these switchbacks that are the result of this one nutrient. And I think it's a it's a it's an outright um, travesty that we don't know more about this. But then the the ultimate uh, issue from my standpoint is that we were led for probably 50 or more years to believe that cholesterol caused heart disease. I mean, we we were raised on that. I was born in 1952. You know, Ike had his, his heart attack in 55, and that's all we were ever raised by was, oh my gosh, booga wooga, get the fat and cholesterol out of your diet. <laughs> Until a few weeks ago. And what did the government say? Oops. Sorry, we made a mistake about that. Well, it turns out that all of the research that connected cholesterol as a mechanism for cardiac heart disease was called correlational research. It wasn't causal. It was correlational. So let me ask you a question, Wendy. Do flies cause garbage? <laughs> I don't believe so. No, I don't think so either. So that the cholesterol doesn't cause heart disease, and now we're being led to believe that vitamin D is the panacea for every, every issue that exists on the planet as it relates to uh, disease. And in fact, it's correlational redux. We're getting hosed by the exact same research strategy, and because most people are lemmings and don't question the research or question the information coming out of mainstream media, they're like, Oh wow! You mean I gotta take more D? Okay, I'll take more D. And and the test says I need more D. Like, no, no, the research is all bogus because it's all correlational. And yeah, I'm not I'm not questioning that vitamin D isn't important or hormone D isn't important because it does serve a purpose in the body, but it is being completely distorted because of this. I don't know what the I don't know what the force is behind it, but it is. Um, more colas behind it. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's it's the it's the um, the bandwagon of more calcium on steroids, because that's all hormone D is is it's calcium on steroids, and so people are not aware of the mineral price they're paying nor the metabolic impact that it's having. So all of that is a very uh, long-winded backdrop to the key question is. Should, should people be taking vitamin D? Like, 
No, I don't think they should. Unless you need it. I mean, unless you have testing that shows you need it. We'll get into that in a few minutes. But what are some of the harmful effects of vitamin D? If someone is taking vitamin D when they don't need it, what are some of the health conditions that can be caused by that? Well, I think we're seeing an uptick in uh, kidney stones, in seizures, in um, heart-related events. I think, you know, what the, the whole dynamic of a myocardial infarct is... You know, here's here's the heart in an ideal state. It's it's relaxed. Here's the heart when there's too much calcium, it gets really stiff. Well, you get too much calcium in the heart, and your your heart's going to start to shut down. You're not going to be able to make energy to allow it to beat to move the, the blood around the body. Uh, I think we're seeing an increase in anxiety. I think we're seeing an increase in arrhythmias. <clears throat> um, so I think all of these are related to this blind um, intake of this nutrient with people not knowing the full story. They don't know all the prices they're paying. And when you are taking a nutrient like a hormone, and, and let's put this hormone in perspective. If a, if a hormone were a salt, a pinch of a hormone would salt nine tons of potato chips. That would fill the average football stadium full of potato chips. That's pretty powerful. And so people aren't just taking a pinch of, of hormone D. They're taking 5,000 units. 50,000. 50,000. 50, 50, it makes me insane when I have clients coming to me and their doctor is giving them 50,000 IU of synthetic vitamin D. It's not even D3. Right. It's insane. Right. Yeah. And I, I, have a, uh, I have several clients who've had 50,000 a week. But I have one client who is getting 30000 a day. She's a very sick puppy right now. Yeah. And now she understands why. Because she knows, she can see on her hair test the impact that it had on her electrolytes, the impact that it had on copper and zinc. And it's like, it's, it's mind-boggling that more people don't know this, but the, the conditioning of society the social construction of reality is you are low on vitamin D and you need more. Yeah. No one talks about, people just focus on that message and they don't open up and say, well, are there other aspects to this that I need to know? You know, was Nero doing more than just fiddling? Was President, was President Wilson more than just a prince of peace? People don't take the time to question that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's part of the challenge. And I guess that's the opportunity for folks like you and me to help educate people and make them more aware. And that's obviously what the, the purpose of this conversation is as well. Yeah. And uh, well, let's talk a little bit about how uh, the vitamin D can affect the adrenals and thyroid, because a lot of people don't realize their adrenal and thyroid problems can be worsened by taking vitamin D. Yeah, no question about it. Um, the, the adrenals are run by the ratio of sodium to magnesium. Not a lot of people know that, but that's really those are the two key electrolytes that are running the, the adrenal glands. And the thyroid is run by the, the ratio of calcium to potassium. It's like, okay, interesting. So if you start pumping a lot of, of hormone D, you're going to affect at least three of those four electrolytes. You're going to increase the level of calcium you're going to lower the level of potassium. So right away, you've increased the thyroid ratio dramatically. And when the number 
of calcium to potassium gets higher and higher and higher, it slows the thyroid more and more and more. And then we've got the drain that hormone D puts on magnesium, which, which only agitates the adrenal glands, because when you look at the metabolism of hormone D from the cholesterol under our skin, that's where it starts, is cholesterol under our skin, and it becomes cholecalciferol, and then the cholecalciferol becomes calcidiol in our liver, and then the calcidiol becomes calcitriol in our kidney, and all of those transactions are brought to you courtesy of magnesium. So once you start dropping in this bolus of, of calcidiol, the storage form of the, the hormone, um, it, the, the body is wired to act on hormones because they're so powerful. And so, so right away, the body starts draining magnesium off to try to flip that. Now, the other, the other part of this is when people don't know that there's a storage and an active, they just know that their storage is low. Well, uh, a very important in, um, internist, he's actually an endocrinologist, uh, Kenny Vandermeer is located in, um, I believe, Norway. He's, he's, he's in Europe. But he's the one that introduced me to this notion of the the number that's associated with your active hormone should never be more than one and a half to two times the number associated with your storage hormone. And what do I find with clients when I do that blood testing? Is on average, most people are three to four times different in terms of active to storage. It's it's frightening. And he very openly talks about this in a YouTube video that he's interviewed in, where he says, he says, I don't understand this obsession to take this, this nutrient, he said, it's only increasing the level of calcification in the body. And that's the part that most people don't understand is there is a price to be paid for this nutrient. And that's a very important um, piece for people to walk away with is that everything, every front has a back. Well, the front of 5,000 units of, of calcidiol is a dramatic increase in the amount of calcitriol. And that then is going to increase the amount of calcium in your blood, and that's not a good thing because it's calcification that's behind a lot of chronic disease. And yeah, hard, 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 yeah, hardening of their arteries, uh, high blood that causes high blood pressure, calcifications of the liver and kidney, gallbladder, yeah. and your, your whole body. Even I used to have really a lot of calcifications in my body, as many of my clients do on their hair mineral analysis, that many, so many people have very high calcium, or they start releasing a lot of calcium on future hair tests. And my right. my body, my muscles literally used to be calcified. They were so tight. I'd have to get a massage once a week to break it up because it was just, it was excruciating. And a lot of people don't realize when they have really tight muscles and they have high blood pressure, et cetera, it's this slow process of calcification. Right, yeah, and it's actually a, it's a fascinating concept, and maybe just a quick digression. Um, Dr. Fiedler, who was a famous Viennese physician, uh, came up with a theory of stress and how it led to calcification. And he theorized this in 1899. It's very simple. Stress causes magnesium loss which leads to electrolyte derangement. 
which leads to a loss of cellular energy, which leads to cell death, which leads to the need for inflammation to clear up the dead tissue, which then leads to fibrosis, or we know it as calcification, to patch up the mess. Now, the interesting thing is that theory was kind of just lingering, and it was Hans Selye who decided to prove whether Fiedler was right. And so he did 30,000 animal experiments to see, gosh, was Dr. Fiedler right? And in fact, he proved that uh, he was absolutely correct and that there is this very predictable process of stress in the body where there's the first thing that gets affected is the adrenals get bigger because they're under stress and then they collapse. And when they collapse, guess who takes it on the chin? The thyroid. And it's never the other way around. You don't hear, the, the body doesn't focus in on the thyroid and say, well, come on, adrenals, you know, what, what's the problem? The adrenals are the first line of defense. And, and again, that's the antithesis of the conventional world of medicine. And if my goal were to be a very uh, busy and uh, successful uh, allopathic physician, there are three things I would focus on. I would focus on the thyroid, I would focus on calcium, and I would focus on iron. And when I focused on those three, I would have patients for life. My, my waiting room would be, would be full. So what's the connection? When you focus on the thyroid, you're ignoring the adrenal glands. When you focus on calcium, you don't let the body absorb magnesium. And when you focus on iron, you're shutting down copper metabolism. And it's like, it's the perfect storm. And the average person doesn't have a clue what's going on. And that's the strategy uh, behind conventional medicine is to focus on thyroid, calcium, and iron. And, man, they've got waiting rooms full of people. Yeah. Really, it's really kind of, it's intriguing when you look at it from the context of minerals. And it, it plays right into the, to your question just a few minutes ago. Well, let's talk about some of the, the distinctions about vitamin D testing. Under What does someone's testing need to look like in order for them to supplement vitamin D? <laughs> um, I, see, I'm, I'm, not trying to, I'm, not to, I'm not trying to do testing to encourage people to take hormone D. I'm doing testing to prove to them that they are turning to stone. Yeah. <laughs> That's what most people are doing. Yeah. So, so the testing, the, the, the bare minimum testing that I do is the 25-hydroxy, which is also called calcidiol, which is also the storage form of the hormone. And that's what is routinely done in doctor's offices all across America and around the world for that matter. But in addition to that, what I look at is the 125-hydroxy, also known as calcitriol, also known as the active form of the hormone. Then I look at the magnesium red blood cell because that's the most accurate uh, dipstick for what's the magnesium status in this person's body. And then I look at the ionized calcium in the serum. Uh, I would love to look at the calcium red blood cell, but three years ago, both Quest and LabCorp stopped making that available to anyone. 
very interesting that they would just bar that from from use, except in research labs, of course, where it's done under very tight control, uh, because they don't want us to know how calcified we are inside ourselves. It's it's very simple why they don't allow it. Then on occasion, I will also ask clients to get a potassium red blood cell test, because that allows um, us to get us an idea of what's happening to the two critical intracellular minerals, magnesium and potassium, because of the intake of, of hormone D, because they're both affected by it. And they are, if, if they are intracellular minerals, it only makes sense to use an intracellular blood test, which is what the red blood cell is. Why would you look at the, you know, when you're, when you're baking cookies, do you care what the kitchen room temperature is, which is akin to the serum, or do you really care about the oven temperature, which is akin to the red blood cell? You know, you know it doesn't matter whether the room temperature is 68 degrees or 78 degrees, but it sure makes a difference if it's 325 or 425. You need to know that because you don't want to burn the cookies. You want to bake the cookies. And that's why the red blood cell measurement is so important for both magnesium and potassium, particularly if you're ingesting too much what I think is too much hormone D. And it is, I think, in more than probably about 150 people that have now completed that blood test under my tutelage, and only one client had a legitimate need for more hormone D. Wow. Wow. One out of 150. And in fact, using just the storage test alone, the 25-hydroxy, all 150 would have said, "Oh, my my storage level is too low. I've got to take more. I've got to take more of this this hormone." Like, no, you don't. Not if you do the full blood test. And that's really what I encourage people to do. And let's talk a little bit about the reference ranges. As we know, big pharma, uh, their scam is to lower the reference ranges for people to make them look healthier than they are. So let's talk a little bit about what the actual reference ranges should be for RBC, magnesium, and calcitriol and calcildiol. Okay. Um, so the, the reference range is, I believe the reference range for storage is anything over 30, 30 to 100 is considered normal. And uh, on the active, I believe it's 25 to 75. And, and the, st the storage is measured in um, nanograms per deciliter, and the active is measured in picograms yeah. per deciliter. Yeah. Um, so what I get back on the blood test is usually people are uh, somewhere in the 20s or 30s, but they're active, and that's 20 to 30 um, nanograms per deciliter. But on the active, they're usually over 100. I've had clients come back with over 150 on the uh, picograms per deciliter. They're just like, it's way, it's like so far beyond the realm of, of, of reasonable, it's frightening. But the point is that the uh, storage, in the research that I've done, uh, and I've, maybe it's because I'm from Baltimore, and my, my, my son calls me Baltimorely, by the way, uh, but um, it's that Johns Hopkins did a study several years ago looking at what's the clinical benefit 
of different levels of, of this hormone. And what they discovered is that there is no clinical benefit when hormone D is above 21 nanograms per deciliter. That's very different than the message you get from the vitamin D council or Michael Hollick or the AMA or whoever's tuning that horn. It's like, there's no benefit over 21. Wow, that's really different. And then that syncs up beautifully with what uh, Kenny Vandermeer is saying, that two times that would be about 45. And that's right in the middle of the reference range for active, 25 to 75. Isn't that interesting? So that, that this whole dynamic is because of a misunderstanding about what is the need for storage level in light of the active. And so you, you just, I think people have to be very careful and very cautious about, A, what's the credibility of the individual who's been a who's telling you to take this hormone, what's been their track record over the last 60 years, it's dismal at best, and do they really have a full accounting for the the blood markers that are related to hormone D status? And if you're just basing it on 25-hydroxy, you're getting a very narrow and a very distorted and a very dangerous picture of your hormone D status. Yeah. Well, let's, that's well, my experience. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about hair mineral analysis. Uh, you use this in your practice. I use it. You know, it's a requisite for any clients that I work with. Let's talk about some of the issues that are routinely see, seen in hair mineral analysis, HTMAs, when people are taking a lot of vitamin D. Well, hands down, what, what I see right away, and I made reference to it a minute ago, is almost without exception, every individual who's been taking uh, hormone D supplements has a very, very, very low potassium. And almost without exception, uh, it I'm able to also correlate that when I do blood testing for copper status, I always look at um, not just the MAG-RBC, but I look at plasma zinc, and I look at serum copper as well as serum ceruloplasm. Everybody who has low potassium on their hair test, almost without exception, has very low ceruloplasm. Well, isn't that interesting? And that syncs up with the research that says that hormone D kills vitamin A. Vitamin A is a precursor to making ceruloplasm. Why is ceruloplasm important? Because it makes copper bioavailable. And if copper is not bioavailable, it goes rogue. And a lot of the people that you and I are spending time with via hair tests have all sorts of copper dysregulation. That I don't think very, very many people even knew what that was, but they are swimming in what I call conundrum. And conundrum is too much unusable copper because it's not bound to ceruloplasm, and too little usable copper. And it's like, and people are like, how could that be? It's like, because it, because copper is a wild horse inside the body, and it needs a bridle. And the bridle is, in fact, ceruloplasm. That's the protein that makes copper usable. And what happens is, if the body stops making the bridle, 
simultaneously it's adding to the number of unbridled horses and there aren't enough with bridles to go around. And that's where the whole copper dysregulation starts is inside the liver because people are swimming in hormone D and they don't even know about it. And so that's the connection on the hair test is to begin to look at um, very often you're going to see on a slow oxidizer, typically we'll see this very low copper, but you and I know that's code for a lot of hidden or stored copper. Yeah, and then yeah. on a fast oxidizer, when we see the, the low copper, we know, oh my gosh, they're, they're a copper desert and they need more copper because they've been taking hormone D and their body wasn't able to, to make it available to them. So it, it all ties back into the spectrum of, of nutrients that shows up on the hair test, but it's um, it's very carefully hidden because it doesn't jump out at you. There's no there's no marker on the hair test that says hormone D status. Yeah, you have to be able to step back and say, how's magnesium doing? How's zinc doing? How's potassium doing? Well, could there could there be an aspect of of this copper uh, dynamic that might be affected by the hormone D as well. So you have to be a little bit of a, of a mineral detective, and that's that's what I like to call myself when I'm, when I'm not magnesium, man. I'm a mineral detective. <laughs> so that's part of the process. So let's talk about the different forms of vitamin D. Uh, there's vitamin D2 and there's vitamin D3. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about those and which one you prefer? <laughs> well, let's, let's pull the... Let's pull the the focus out just a little bit more. So when you read articles about hormone D, they actually talk about cholecalciferol, which is the it's the it's cholesterol that's being turned into the precursor to the storage form of hormone D. So cholecalciferol, calcidiol, the storage form of the hormone, and calcitriol the active form of the hormone, are all referred to in the literature as vitamin D. It's like, I want to pull my hair out. What, what little is left, I want to pull it out. And it's like, are they kidding? Why, why do, there ought to be a law that says you cannot refer to vitamin D in the abstract. You must identify, are you talking about the pre-hormone? Are you talking about the storage hormone? Are you talking about the active hormone? So that's, that's the first distinction is you need to understand that this hormone exists in different states. D2, which is a, um, really, as I understand it, it's a synthetic form of the hormone, and it's a very dangerous form of it. Uh, my, my understanding is that it's as uh, caustic as fluoride is, inside the body. At least that's some of the research that, that I've read. But when people are taking vitamin D2, they have no idea what they're doing to their body. And the tragedy is one of the, one of the highest sources of vitamin D2, I believe, and please correct me if you know differently, but I believe that, that milk, commercial milk, has a regular habit of adding vitamin D2 oh, to, the, to the body. 
I was just so about that, to mention that, that that's where people are getting this conventional pasteurized milk, this toxic vitamin D2. And when I used to be a vegan, I was fretting in my psychotic state about whether I should be taking vitamin D3, which is processed using animals, or vitamin D2. Luckily, I didn't take the vitamin D2. Um, but there's uh, there's a lot of supplements out there with the synthetic vitamin D2 in them. Right, right. I, I don't think... Correct me if I'm wrong, Wendy, but I don't think there is a natural form of vitamin D2, is there? Uh, I don't. I don't believe so. No, from my yeah. understanding, it's it's synthetic. Yeah, that, that's my understanding. But you know, hopefully, if we're wrong, someone will correct us. But I think that's my my understanding as well. And so you want to you want to avoid uh, D2 like the plague. And and what you really want to do is make sure you understand that. Then think of hormone D as a transformer. A lot of us grew up with transformers, or our kids grew up with transformers. And these, that I think it's a great way to look at it is that that this um, object starts out as a car, turns into a plane, and actually becomes a rocket. And and that's that's important to understand that there's there's different levels of intensity and burn rate and and impact inside the body when it moves from one state to the next. So maybe that'll help people understand that it that it's actually all the same parts, but it begins to take conformational change inside the body as it's mixed with magnesium, ATP, and other factors that, that come into play in, in converting the cholecalciferol to the calcidiol to the calcitriol. And so, so you're not saying avoid vitamin D in foods. Um, so what kind of foods can people eat um, that are rich in vitamin D, say if they want to get some vitamin D? Well, probably the, the, the richest source that people are, they may be familiar with, whether they're using it or not, would be cod liver oil. And certainly, historically, you know, our, our great-grandparents used to have a tablespoon of cod liver oil every day. Mm-hmm. And they hated it. Yeah. But they were getting about 400 units of of hormone D and about 10 times that, about 4,000, 5,000 units of vitamin A. That's that's the natural formulation of A and D in the liver. Um, so I think that that's probably the easiest way for people to do it. But an even easier way, and what I recommend to clients as well, is... Make sure that they eat more cholesterol. Make sure that they eat more vitamin. Excuse me. Make sure they eat more magnesium, and make sure that they go outside in the sun more. It, it's not complicated. I mean, our ancestors have been making this hormone for a long, long time, and part of the deception and the delusion is that because of uh, a lack of sunlight in our body or exposure to sunlight, we can't make hormone D. That's not true at all. That's absolutely not true. And so I think people have been have been corralled into a belief system that is very distorted, and I think it's very dangerous, as I said at the, at the beginning of the, um, of the conversation. And so, for instance, I have a lot of clients that they live in the northern latitudes, it's snowing, it's gray, so how are they able to make vitamin D? Can you just explain that a little bit? Uh, drive onto the lake, <laughs> cut a hole in the ice, and fish. Eat a some, fish. Eat <laughs> a fish, exactly. Yeah. Look, what, what do, what do uh, Inuit Indians eat? They eat whale blubber. Mm. And what do whales eat? 
to eat plankton. And where's the plankton? The plankton's been kissed by the sun. I mean, it's, this has been going on for a long time. And so you look for the uh, food-based sources of these nutrients. And Weston A. Price learned this when he traveled the globe back in the 1920s with his wife, Isabella. And they learned all the different ways that these indigenous tribes kept their bodies healthy by eating really nutrient-dense foods in a very simple fashion. And we're led to believe that we're so much more sophisticated and that we have so many more advancements. It's like, no, we don't, we don't have, I mean, the way those, those indigenous tribes were eating is a hundred times healthier than what we experience today. Because one thing that I do know is in reading the book that, that uh, Dr. Price wrote is that nowhere in his research did he discover one indigenous tribe was using blenders to make <laughs> breakfast. So. Yeah. And no one was using microwaves. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the, three, the three most dangerous appliances in the kitchen that destroy health are the refrigerator, because we use one less of the salt that our ancestors used before that, because of the microwave, because it destroys the proteins in the food, and the blender, because we're led to believe that we're supposed to swallow our food and not chew it. Yeah. When, in fact, chewing activates the parotid glands, which it, it, it increases the release of amylase and the enzymes that break down the food that we're trying to digest. So it's, I don't know, I know I, sometimes I come off as, a, as, an, as an old dog sometimes, but it's like those are not advancements if the objective is to improve one's health. Yeah. You have to think like your ancestors and go back, how would my great-grandmother, how would my great-grandfather have, have made this meal? What would, they have do, what would they have done to ensure the nutrient viability of these foods? And we've totally lost sight of that. I do what the and, French do. They eat foie gras. So that's what I do. Okay, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> I was very, Absolutely. very upset when Arnold Schwarzenegger outlawed it, saying it was cruelty to animals. He outlawed it in California <laughs> for a couple years. And yeah. just a month or so ago, it became legal again to all the, the you know, uh, you know, happiness of all the French chefs in Los Angeles. I'm wow. sure they were mortified that they couldn't serve foie gras in their French restaurants anymore. But now I can get my my weekly dose of uh, liver. <laughs> well, it's it's a, it's a great way if you're looking for a, a really rich source of copper. There's nothing better than goose pate. Yeah. It's like, oh my god! It's like I think it's it's like five or six times higher than than beef liver. Yeah. It's it's enormously high in, in copper. Yeah, so, I couldn't get eat enough of it when I was pregnant. I, I could not stop eating foie gras. <laughs> I don't know what it was. But well, and I, and I think I think there's a very and I know I'm I digress, forgive me, but I think just to make the point, I think there's a difference between the copper that's coming in our diet via plants versus the copper that's coming into our diet via animals. Because I believe the animal based form is already attached to the bridle. It makes a difference when it comes into our body. Yeah. So that's, that's, a, that's just a theory. I could be all wet. But I really believe that there's a difference in how we're exposed to that particular metal. It's a, it's a very dynamic one, as you know. causes a lot of problems. But I think a lot of people who avoid animal food ultimately end up with copper issues and I think it's a result of the lack of the bridle. 
Yeah. Yeah. And and, any of you listeners, if you want to learn more about copper, uh, Morley and I did a two part series on copper dysregulation. That's, it was very, very eye opening for so many of the listeners and for my clients and Morley's clients. Definitely give that a listen. And Morley, thank you so much for coming on the show. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more about where they can find you and your Facebook group, et cetera? Absolutely. Um, I I do have a Facebook group that uh, it's called the Magnesium Advocacy Group. Uh, two years ago, there were three people. Uh, we're we're marching it up on uh, thirty thousand right now. That's amazing. About five or six hundred a week. So it's it's grown beyond any any realm of of reality that I ever thought it would be. But that's uh, a very active and very popular forum. Uh, I have a, a website, um, gotmag.org, G-O-T-M-A-G dot O-R-G, and I have blogs there and some information and um people are, are very welcome to reach out to me via email it's my first name morley m-o-r-l-e-y at gotmag.org my cell is area code 847-922-8061 so those are the, the different channels that they can reach me or they can just you know beam up something into the sky that says help i need i need help magnesium man and all I'll respond to that as well. You're a brave soul for giving out your phone number. I couldn't do that. <laughs> I get uh, crank calls. <laughs> I do. I actually do it all. The, I actually do it all the time. And what I find is that people are very respectful of it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm very willing to give it. All I ask is that people respect that if they have a problem, call me. If yeah. they don't, don't call me. And That's do not call at two a.m. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, it's not like I sleep with my phone under my ear. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I sleep with my little baby. I love it so much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, again, Morley, thank you so much for coming on. You're always such an informative guest. And I'm sure this uh, podcast was really eye-opening and mind-blowing for all you vitamin D addicts out there. And question your doctor. Do not take vitamin D under doctor's advice. Uh, this is the one thing it's, I'm saying. Don't follow your doctor's advice on this because it will lead to health problems down the road. I think the key is do your homework on this one. Be very careful. So it's been a delight as always, Wendy. Thanks for the opportunity. And I look forward to continuing the dialogue on future topics to be determined. Yes, and stay tuned for two seconds. Guys, if you want to learn all about detoxification and how to heal your health conditions naturally, go to live210.com. You can also check out my healing and detox program, mineralpower.com, and my new online health program, bodybiorehab.com. That's where you get the five pillars of health. I teach you all about diet, exercise, stress, sleep, and detox. It's a 30-day program with meal plans and a cookbook, etc., so that you can learn how to heal your health and live a healthy life. Listeners, thank you so much for listening to the Live to 110 podcast.